Nobody likes it when their car runs out of gas, especially while on a long journey. It can leave you stranded in some remote podunk town in the middle of the night. However unfortunate that might be, at least you have the option to pull over to the side of the road and, you know, not fall out of the sky. But what if you're on an airplane and you run out of gas? Welcome back to Air Scare Stories. Today we'll be discussing one of the most bizarre plane crashes I've covered yet. Not only did this airplane crash land because it ran out of gas, but there was a famous rock band on board, and when one of the surviving members ran off to get help, he got shot by a farmer. This is the story of the deadly crash of a plane chartered by the legendary rock band Leonard Skinner. Nobody expects an airplane to run out of fuel mid-air, especially a civilian plane that moves between well-maintained airports and well-populated cities. We all expect that the right calculations will be made so that the plane will always have adequate fuel for its journey. If those were your thoughts too, you're not far from the truth. In fact, a civilian plane running out of fuel is so rare that the US-based Flight Safety Foundation estimates that only 0.5% of plane accidents can be blamed on low fuel. So while it is very uncommon, it does happen, and when it does, it can sometimes be fatal. It's unfortunate that anyone should die in a plane crash, but even more so when it's a crash that could have easily been prevented. It's October 20th, 1977, and the album Street Survivors had just been released by the American Southern rock band Leonard Skinner. In fact, it's barely been three days since the release. The band has just started gaining recognition and touring all across the US. On this day, they'd just finished performing at the Greenville Memorial Auditorium in Greenville, South Carolina, and were preparing for their next show, which would have been at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Not everyone in the band was enthused about this trip, though. The main reason for dreading the journey had nothing to do with the crowd in Louisiana being rough and tough, but rather the negative experiences they'd been having with the charter plane they'd been using to get from city to city. Instead of traveling commercial or using a bus, the band thought it would be best to tour with a plane of their own, not only for convenience, but also for the comfort. They got themselves a Convair CV240, a twin propeller commercial airliner, which had been reconfigured into a tour plane with couches and tables and all that cool stuff. Although the plane was about 30 years old by that time, it was large enough for the entire 24-member team on tour. This might have been the original reason they chartered such a big plane, but they would soon realize that all was not well with the old bird. The team experienced their first rude awakening when they noticed flames shooting from the right-hand engine on their previous flight from Lakeland, Florida to Greenville, South Carolina. Now you'd think something like that would be top priority and fixed ASAP, but when Gene Odom, lead singer Ronnie Van Zant's friend and bodyguard, confronted the pilots about the need to repair the plane when they landed in Greenville, their attitude was surprisingly laid back. They insisted that the airplane was fine, but that they would radio ahead for a mechanic to have a look at it once they got to Baton Rouge, two days from then. Aside from these issues, some team members had even had premonitions about the plane crashing. Cassie Gaines, one of the backing singers, was so fearful of the rickety old plane that she said she'd rather ride with the equipment truck instead. Jojo Billingsley, another backing singer who was in treatment for substance abuse and thus not on the plane that day, had dreamt that the plane was involved in a crash and begged Alan Collins, a guitarist and founding member of the band, not to continue using that plane. This freaked him out so much that he also didn't want to board the plane. He said, I'm not going to get on it because it's not right. But Van Zant convinced them to get on, saying, Hey, if the Lord wants you to die in this plane, when it's your time, it's your time. Interestingly, Van Zant himself believed he wouldn't live past the age of 30. After the show in Greenville, South Carolina, 
the band and crew members got on the plane and it took off for Louisiana. And for the most part, everything was going normally. Besides, this was going to be the last time the team used the Convair CV240 for these charter flights. They'd already decided to change to a different plane due to the mechanical issues and everyone's fears about them. They only had to endure it one last time and everyone was looking forward to the nightmare coming to an end. As they made their way toward Louisiana, Ronnie Van Zant fell asleep on the floor with a pillow, while several other band members passed the time playing cards. Up on the flight deck, however, things weren't all that rosy. About 20 minutes before they were scheduled to arrive in Baton Rouge, the pilots suddenly realized that they were dangerously low on fuel. They contacted Houston Center ATC, saying, Yes, sir. We need to get to an airport. Closest airport you've got, sir. Houston Center responded by asking if they were declaring an emergency, and they replied, Yes, sir. We're low on fuel and we're just about out of it. We want factories to Macomb. Those days, please, sir. Macomb was referring to Macomb Pike County Airport in Pike County, Mississippi, the nearest airport they knew of. They were hoping they had enough fuel on board to make an emergency landing there, but just seconds later, both of the plane's engines began to sputter and then shut down. They just conked out like your car's engine would if it ran out of gas. Of course, in that scenario, you can just pull over to the side of the road. In an airplane, you've got no choice but to look for a place to land. But contrary to popular belief, when the engines die on an airplane, it doesn't just fall to the ground like a rock. As long as the plane is moving forward, it'll basically just act like a glider. So you may not fall like a rock, but you'll still be heading back to Earth one way or another. Meanwhile, in the passenger cabin, the band's drummer Artemis Pyle felt that something wasn't quite right with the plane, so he made his way up to the cockpit to have a look. He found the pilots desperately trying to restart the engines and keep the situation under control. But as soon as they saw him standing there, they yelled at him to quickly get back to his seat and strap himself in, which instantly changed the atmosphere on the plane. Everyone suddenly began to think that they might not make it, and their previous premonitions took on a whole new terrifying significance. With no engines running, the plane becomes eerily quiet, and everyone's looking around at each other, terrified, unsure of what to do. At this point, Ronnie Van Zant is still asleep on the floor, and his friend Gene Odom rushes over to tell him that they're about to crash, but he just waves them off because he assumes Gene's only joking. According to Gene, it's something that they did often, so Ronnie Van Zant assumes it's just one of his jokes, tells Gene to leave him alone, and rolls over and goes back to sleep. Back in the cockpit, the pilots are still hoping they'll be able to make it to Macomb Airport, but it soon becomes obvious that that's not going to happen. They then decided that they'd have no choice but to put the plane down in an open field which was less than 500 yards from their current location. In the passenger section, all they could see out the windows at this point were the silhouettes of trees in the darkness. Despite the best efforts of the pilots, they couldn't keep the plane in the air long enough to reach the open field they'd seen ahead. The plane ended up crashing into a swampy tangle of trees and splitting into several pieces near Gillsburg, Mississippi at approximately 6.52 p.m. According to Gary Rossington, one of the band's guitarists, as the plane was crashing, it sounded like hundreds of baseball bats were hitting the plane's fuselage. That's the last thing many of the people on board remembered that day before they lost consciousness.
Once the plane crashed, it split into various pieces, injuring many of those on board and killing quite a few of them. The two pilots, Walter McCreary and William Gray, died on impact. Rescuers said that when they arrived, they just knew neither of the pilots were going to survive due to the mangled state of the cockpit. Ronnie Van Zant also died on impact as he was thrown violently from his seat and suffered blunt force trauma to the head. Gene Odom had actually succeeded in strapping his friend Ronnie into his seat, only for him to take it off a few seconds before impact because he still believed it was all a big joke. According to Gene, he took it off no more than three or four seconds before impact. You can imagine the emotional weight of having to carry the guilt about that for the rest of your life. Ronnie might have survived if only he had kept his seatbelt on. Ronnie Van Zant wasn't the only band member who would die that day. New guitarist to the band Steve Gaines, his sister, who was also one of the backing singers of the group, Cassie Gaines, and the assistant road manager, Dean Kilpatrick, all died in the crash, which brought the tally of casualties to six. The three band members, the road manager, and the two pilots. Although most people did survive, many of them still had some pretty serious life-threatening injuries. The drummer Artemis Pyle was one of the least injured in the accident. Although he suffered broken ribs, he was still able to crawl away from the crash site in search of help. In his own words, he stated, I forced myself out from under the wreckage. My chest was crushed, but I started walking to get help. As if navigating the murky snake-infested swamp wasn't enough, he eventually came face to face with a stranger and got shot. Yes, you heard that right. He got shot when he finally encountered someone he thought could help. It turns out he had stumbled his way onto a farmer's land, and the farmer, seeing this bloody, injured zombie walking toward him, picked up his gun and shot him in the shoulder. Now, there are conflicting reports about this, and even Artemis Pyle has given differing accounts of what happened, sometimes saying he was shot in the shoulder, and other times saying the farmer fired a warning shot over his head. But either way, once the farmer realized that Pyle had been injured in a plane crash, he quickly helped him inside his house and notified the authorities. Are you wondering how one man could survive a plane crash, navigate a swamp infested with snakes, and survive a gunshot to the shoulder? Well, I wondered too, but it turns out he used to be a U.S. Marine, so that answers that. On getting to the site, rescuers were surprised that there were any survivors at all, due to the state of the plane. Most of those who survived were seated in the back of the plane, but they still didn't escape completely unscathed. For instance, the band's keyboard player, Billy Powell, suffered deep lacerations in his right leg, with severe facial lacerations as well. In fact, his nose was almost completely torn off in the crash. Gene Odom, who was thrown from the plane, suffered a broken neck and had his face and eyelids burnt by phosphorus from a de-icing flare that was on board, which required him to undergo reconstructive plastic surgery. But due to the quick and effective response, many of those who were seriously injured were quickly rescued and transported to hospitals, which may have just saved their lives. The rescue teams were mostly made up of locals who crossed a 20-foot-wide, waist-deep creek digging through the overgrown vegetation, which prevented most of the rescue vehicles from getting through. One of the rescuers stated that he kept tripping over survivors who were laying on the ground once he got to the crash site, which shows just how dark and isolated the site was. In the weeks and months following the crash, the National Transportation Safety Board conducted a full investigation. They determined that the probable cause of this accident was fuel exhaustion and total loss of power on both engines due to crew inattention to fuel supply. Contributing to the fuel exhaustion were inadequate flight planning and an engine malfunction of undetermined nature in the right engine, which resulted in higher than normal fuel consumption. So although they recognized that something seemed to have gone wrong with the right engine, causing it to burn more fuel than normal, they also blamed the pilots for being unaware of it up until the last couple minutes of the flight. 
but some years later Artemis Pyle stated that the fuel gauge on the plane didn't always work so well, which could have caused a false sense of having enough fuel when they really didn't. On the other hand, if the plane had a known faulty fuel gauge, then you can't really say they were unaware of the problem, can you? Following the crash, it was revealed that Leonard Skinner was not the only musical group that had sought to use the 30-year-old Convair CV240. The rock band Aerosmith had also considered chartering this same plane for their 1977 American tour. However, they found the state of the plane and its crew to be subpar and decided to charter a different plane instead. Although they might have dodged a bullet, the band was pretty shaken up when they received the news of Leonard Skinner's fate. It wasn't very long after the crash that conspiracies started springing up concerning the band members who died and the cover art used for their Street Survivors album. The cover art featured the band standing on a city street with all of its buildings engulfed in flames, which isn't really that odd for a rock band. But given the circumstances, people started seeing things that weren't really there. People were saying that only the band members who were touched by the flames in the cover art were killed in the crash, which isn't true. As you can see here, the flames are touching all of them somewhere or another. Regardless, Teresa Gaines, the wife of Steve Gaines, the guitarist who died in the accident, asked that the cover be changed, and out of respect for the deceased band members, MCA Records withdrew the original art and put the band against a simple black background instead. The original was, however, brought back 30 years later for the Street Survivors 2-CD Deluxe Edition. In the wake of the accident, the Street Survivors album rose to number 5 on the US Albums chart, with their single What's Your Name reaching number 13 on the singles chart that year. It was an unfortunate end to the original band's lineup, but their legacy lived on, and 10 years later, Leonard Skinner reunited for a full-scale tour with five major members of the original band. Crash survivors Gary Rossington, Billy Powell, Leon Wilkeson, and Artemis Pyle, along with guitarist Ed King, who had left the band two years before the crash. He had always said that he believed that things with the band would never have ended well, but I'm sure he never thought they would end like this. If you like this video and want to help me so I can keep making new ones, please consider donating on Patreon. I would be so grateful. Is there an aviation story you'd like me to cover? Leave it in the comments section below. Thanks so much for watching, and I'll see you on the next Air Scare Stories.